Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us. We're going to begin. Father, we thank you for a time of worship, Lord, a time of, of praise, of glorifying your name. And now we turn to your word, Father. We pray that our hearts have been prepared to receive what you have for us this morning. I pray, Father, you would speak directly to us. I pray through the power of your spirit, Lord, we would be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If you did not bring your Bible with you today, there is a Bible in front of where you're sitting. It's a black hardbound book. Take that out. We're in Hebrews chapter 4. It's actually page 1002. In that Bible, we are continuing our sermon series we've entitled Greater. We're thinking about and talking about and studying how Jesus is greater than everything else. And so we've seen already in the scripture in the first uh, really three or four chapters of Hebrews that he's greater than the angels, he's greater than the Old Testament prophets, greater than the Old Testament kings, greater than our sin, greater than our suffering, greater even than death. And And my prayer for you during this sermon series is that you really uh, see the greatness of Christ, but also that you kind of encounter the glory of the Lord. And I was reminded this week as I was kind of praying through that and and thinking through that of Isaiah chapter 6. You don't have to flip there, but I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah. The Bible says that the Lord gave Isaiah a vision, and here's what Isaiah said, Isaiah 6 beginning in verse 1. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the fountains of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And now listen to Isaiah's response when he saw the glory of the Lord. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The more we see the greatness of the Lord, the more we see the glory of the Lord, the more it drives us to the cross, it drives us to forgiveness, it drives us to love him and serve him more. And so my prayer for you during this series is that you see the greatness of Christ, but it leads you to this place of absolute worship in him. So we've talked over the last several weeks about his greatness, and last week specifically, we talked about the rest that we find in God, and that podcast is available if you're interested. In chapter 4, we talked about finding rest in his promises, finding rest in eternity, finding rest in the Sabbath, even finding rest in his word. And this morning, we're going to kind of finish up chapter 4, 
and move into chapter 5. Now, this is an opportunity to kind of teach just for a second about biblical interpretation. I'm going to step outside the sermon for a second and explain something to you that's important. When we think about how the Bible was written and passed on from generation to generation, the Holy Spirit spoke to the writers of Scripture. They wrote the words down. But the chapter divisions and the verse divisions were not given to us by the Lord. So when the writer of Hebrews wrote Hebrews, he didn't start by saying chapter 1, verse 1, and now here's verse 2, and now here's verse 3, and now we're into chapter 2. He just wrote it all out. It was the scholars and the people that transcribed it later and translated it that added in the verse divisions, added in the chapter divisions. So every now and then there are these moments where we say, listen, we, we think the division would probably be a little bit different uh, if we could do it now. And this is one of those moments. I believe, and I think a lot of scholars agree, that really beginning in chapter 4, verse 14, goes better with chapter 5 than it does with chapter 4. And so even though it's part of chapter 4, we're going to kind of begin it this morning as a new idea that's going to really, these first uh, three verses that end up, excuse me, the last three verses of chapter 14 are really going to give us a summary of chapter 5, 6, and the chapters that follow. So I want to jump in this morning, understand the Hebrews 4.14 is kind of a summary for us. It's going to lead us right into chapter 5. So we have it on the screen. You can follow along with us this morning. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, right? There's the same idea we've seen over the last several weeks, holding on to the truth, holding on to our faith, enduring unto the end. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who can in every respect and has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now this is really a summary and I really want to kind of focus this morning on verse 16. Right, we've seen the greatness of Jesus. We've seen that Jesus is our high priest. He is our sacrifice. We've seen his holiness. We've seen that he's lived a sinless life. But I want you to notice how all these things affect us now in verse 16. Let us then with confidence, right? Not with fear, not with trepidation, not with uncertainty, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Right? So, so the application right here for you right now in verse 16 is that you can with confidence enter into the presence of the Lord, and he will hear your cries. That ought to matter to you. We don't serve a distant God who's uncaring. We serve a God who allows us to enter into his presence with confidence so we can, in the words of Scripture, receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now, chapter 5 is going to kind of help us understand why this matters. Chapter 5 is going to help us understand why we have this confidence to come to Jesus. So look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. Now verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, 
Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now there's a lot there, and I want to walk back through it together and help you understand, but I want to answer this question this morning. I want you to walk away with this understanding of why we have the confidence to come to Jesus. So the first truth I want you to see, we have it on the screen, number one, Jesus is our great high priest who tore the veil and gave us access to God. Right? We can enter his presence with confidence because he's a great high priest who tore the veil and gave us access to God. Now, chapter 5 of Hebrews is all about Jesus as our high priest. And I want to remind you, this is really important for our understanding of the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is writing to first century Jewish Christians who had accepted Christ, but some of them are in danger of falling away, right? They're in danger of walking away from their faith. And so that's why we continue to see this idea of the importance of holding fast, of keeping our confidence in Jesus until the end. And so when the writer of Hebrews is writing to these first century Jewish Christians, they have a very clear understanding of the Old Testament. And so when he writes about the high priest, they would have understood exactly what he's talking about because the high priest in the Old Testament had a very significant role in the life of the people. That was the job of the high priest to basically lead people in worship and in sacrifice, offering atonement for their sins. And so the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies, and we've talked about this in the past, we're going to delve into this a little bit more here in just a few minutes, would go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for the people. So Leviticus chapter 16 verse 34 says this, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And so the people would have understood, listen, it's the job of the high priest once a year to walk into the temple, to go into the Holy of Holies, which was the most significant part of the temple, to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people once a year. Now, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, what we're going to see is we're going to see the qualifications for an Old Testament priest. Now, watch. This is going to be important. We're going to tie these two things together. I'm going to show you here in just a second. We're going to see in the first few verses the qualifications for an Old Testament priest. In the next few verses, we're going to see that Jesus meets those qualifications. So go ahead and pull A, B, and C up for me, if you would, so we can kind of get into this a little bit. Verse 1, now we're in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, talks about the high priest, talks about the qualifications for becoming the high priest. The first qualification is that they had to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. That's right there in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Second qualification is they had to sympathize with the people, understand the pain of the people. Right? Verse 2 says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Right? The high priest had to understand the pain 
had to understand the suffering that the people was going, were going through. Then qualification three, the high priest had to be called by God. Verse four says, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So the writer of Hebrews is reminding these people, listen, here are the qualifications for the Old Testament high priest. Now, put the next set up there for me, please. The next few verses, beginning in verse 5, this person is going to make this connection with Jesus, right? All the qualifications necessary for the high priest, Jesus is now going to fulfill. Okay, so what we see is, you see to see, B to B, A to A, right? Jesus was called by God, verse 5, says, Also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son. Right? So Jesus qualifies as a high priest. B, Jesus sympathized with the people and understood their pain. Verse 7 says that he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and with tears to him who was able to save him from death. So Jesus understood the pain, he sympathized with the people, and at the very bottom, A, Jesus offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. Verse 9, he being made perfect became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now watch, this is where it gets interesting. What the Old Testament priests could not do at the top Forgive people for their sins once and for all. Jesus fulfilled. You understand that? The high priest couldn't do that. They had to do it once a year. They had to offer atonement for the sins on a regular basis. The, the blood of bulls and goats, which we'll see later in the book of Hebrews, wasn't able to ultimately cleanse them of their sins. And so time and time again, they had to make these sacrifices. So what the Old Testament priests could not do, Jesus completely fulfills in the New Testament by offering the sacrifice for the people's sins once and for all, right? So Jesus is qualified to be the greater, the greatest high priest, right? Now let's tie this back to verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. Why does this matter for us? Here's what Hebrews 4.16 says. Let us in with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Now you have to understand something about the Old Testament priests that mattered, right? Once a year, they would walk into what's called the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was an area of the temple or the tabernacle. And by the way, before the actual temple was built in Jerusalem, it was just a big tent out in the desert. Like God is leading the children of Israel around through the wilderness, and he wants them to have a place of worship. And so they build this tent so they could take it up and move it and set it back down. And the tent has kind of four walls, cloth walls, and the Lord gives them very specific uh, instructions about how to build it. And then within the four walls is another kind of big box that's the Holy of Holies. And it's a special place, right? The Ark of the Covenant is in there. It's where the Spirit of the Lord would reside. And once a year, the high priest would go through a very special ceremony, cleansing himself, putting on special clothing, a burning special incense, sacrificing and taking the blood in there in order to atone for the sins of the people. Now, the sins of the people were atoned for in the Holy of Holies, and it was a separate place because God couldn't look upon sin, right? So there's this separation. So we get this very visual, physical understanding of sin built into the tabernacle, the holiness of God separated from the sin of the people, right? So one writer explained it like this. The Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the tabernacle by the veil, which was a huge, heavy drape 
made of fine linen and blue purple scarlet yarn and embroidered with gold and cherubim. Now watch, this is important. In the Old Testament, the people were not allowed to enter with confidence into the throne of grace. They were not allowed to do that. Only the high priest could enter the throne of grace. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. In fact, they knew with absolute confidence that if they did enter into the Holy of Holies, they would be struck down. And you can read about that time and time again in the Old Testament. So we've got these two kind of competing ideas you got the idea that the, the holiness of God resides within the Holy of Holies and the idea of the sin of the people, they can't be reconciled. Now watch, this is where this comes together for us. Because we read in Hebrews 4.16 that we can now with confidence come into the presence of the Lord. Why did that change? Matthew chapter 27. I want you to listen to what it says. Don't look it up. Just be mindful and reminded of Jesus. He's walked to the cross. He's being now crucified on the cross. And the Bible tells us, Matthew 27 verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now watch. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Right? What the Old Testament priests could never do, Jesus accomplishes through his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? He takes the veil, and the veil is ripped, not from the bottom up as if we did it, but from the top down, signifying that the Lord has now ripped the curtain, the Lord has now ripped open the Holy of Holies because of the blood of Christ that covers the people that obey and follow and believe in him. We are now able to enter into the Holy of Holies into the presence of the Lord, verse 16, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. It's an amazing picture here of the sacrifice of Christ, of why it matters to us and what it now gives us. Imagine now living in this time in the Old Testament where you couldn't come to the Lord directly. You couldn't pray to him. You had to go through the priest. Jesus has opened up this way for us. Jesus, because he's our high priest now, has torn the veil and has given us this access to God. So now you have confidence that you can enter the Lord's presence. You can enter into the Holy of Holies. And the Bible says when you do that, you will receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. Isn't that amazing? Like you ought to walk out of here with this this new sense of awe and holiness of the Lord that you can with confidence enter into his presence and he's going to hear your cries. That that ought to lead you to this place of worship. But I want you to notice what else we see here. Look at verse 7 again. So in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Here's the second truth I want you to see, right? We we have confidence to come to Jesus because he's torn the veil and allows us access to the Father. Truth number two, Jesus is our great high priest who understands our struggles and our suffering. Not only has he torn the veil and given us access to the Father, but Jesus understands our struggles and he understands our sufferings. So you kind of have this confidence that no matter what pain you're dealing with, no matter what struggle you're going through, no matter what issues of life you're, you're walking through, Jesus understands those pains, he understands those struggles, and he's literally walking beside you every step of the way. 
That ought to bring you great hope. Now, the Bible is filled with examples of the humanity of Jesus, right? We talk about fully God and fully man. We see all sorts of examples in Scripture of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter 4, verse 6, when he gets to the well, the woman at the well, the Bible says that he was tired and thirsty from his long journey. Why? Because he was a man. He gets tired just like you do. He gets thirsty just like you do. Matthew chapter 4 talks about Jesus walking into the wilderness and fasting for a period of time. And the Bible says that he was hungry, right? He gets hungry just like you do. But we we take it a step farther. It's not just about his humanity here because we're talking beyond just the idea of being hungry, beyond just the idea of being thirsty. We're talking about struggling, suffering, pain. Isaiah 53 gives us maybe the greatest example. And this this is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament because it looks ahead to Jesus And it looks ahead especially to his suffering. So as you hear Isaiah 53, think about the crucifixion of Jesus and be mindful and listen for words of pain and suffering. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. We have have great confidence in understanding that Jesus was punished, that Jesus suffered, that Jesus walked through pain just like we do. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Verse 8, as a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Maybe the greatest example of suffering for Jesus is the Garden of Gethsemane. You may remember the story. Jesus has basically spent the last few moments of his life with his disciples. He's gone up into the upper room. He's had the final meal with his disciples. They've uh, prayed together. They've sung together. He's taught them for one final time. They walk out of the upper room, across Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives, and into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible tells us about the prayers of Jesus. He says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and Troubled, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And then, going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We should have this confidence to enter the throne of grace, to enter into the presence of the Lord, understanding that he feels our pain that he feels our suffering, that he endures these things simply because he loves us. And so, so I don't know where you are. I don't, I don't know what struggle you're walking through. I don't know what difficulty in life you've had before. Uh, you, know, you know as well as I do that either you have experienced pain or you're, you're experiencing now or you're going to go through something in the future because life is difficult and it's messy. And, and I know in a, in a church this size with three services, there are a lot of people that come with a lot of baggage. But I just want you to hear this truth this morning. Regardless of where you are or where you've been or or maybe where you're going in the future, Jesus understands that pain. And he understands suffering. And the Bible said he gave his life for us. 
And the Bible teaches us that we now, because of what he's done and what he's accomplished, can enter into his presence with confidence. Jesus understands your pain as you pray through and walk through and struggle through. He walks along with you. But I want to finish this up now. Let's look here at the last couple of verses. Go back to verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And by the way, that's probably a whole sermon series. I'm not going to kind of camp out on it right here. But just the idea of, of verse 8, learning obedience through what he suffered, that, that's kind of mind-blowing, right? Because when we suffer, typically the first thing we want to do is get rid of it. Like we, don't, we don't like to go through pain and suffering. When we kind of take a step back and we begin to understand it through the eyes of Scripture, we begin to understand that even in our suffering, there are things that we can learn, right? There are ways in which we can grow. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Why do we have confidence to come to Jesus? Truth number three, Jesus is our great high priest who is the source of eternal salvation. You know, if you don't remember anything else this morning, I want you to remember verse 9. Very simply, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Pull, pull that up on the screen. Let's just look at it together. I want you to see it with your own eyes again. Hebrews 5, 9. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus is our source. You understand that? Jesus is our source. We had the opportunity, my family and I, several years ago, and I've, I've told this story a lot, but we went to Africa, New Day Orphanage, and, and some of you have gone, and some of you are going with us again this summer. If you've never been on an overseas mission trip, I encourage you to do it. Uh, if you can't go overseas, do something here. There's all kind of opportunities this year, even in Troop County. We had the opportunity to go and, and stay for about a month and live on this orphanage. And, and the thing that I probably love the most about being over there for that length of time is that we got to get off the orphanage and go out into the bush. And the bush in Africa is just the wilderness, right? And so New Day is this compound. It's very well run. There's electricity. There's running water. There's indoor plumbing. It's not America, but it's close, at least in the sense of all the things that they have and the food was there. And those, those precious children are well taken care of. It's a blessing for them. But you, you take a step outside of that compound and you're in the bush. And the bush means there's no running water, there's no indoor plumbing, there's no electricity. Now you can live without electricity, believe it or not. You can actually survive. You can survive without indoor plumbing, right? As difficult as that may be, you can survive without indoor plumbing. What you can't survive without is water, right? Live without electricity, live without indoor plumbing, can't survive without water. And in the heat of the African uh, summer, you can probably survive a day or two or three, and then you're going to die. So water is precious to those people as it is to everybody. But they don't have the resources to, to, to drill and to have long pipes and to have water treatment plants that the water comes from. And so all they can do is dig wells. They don't have the money or the resources to dig wells in every home. And so what happens uh, very typically is out in the bush, there's one well that's drilled, usually kind of in the middle of this village area, and people from miles around will come to that water source every day. And so as you're out in the bush, you see, you begin to kind of get used to seeing these people. Typically they walk, and a lot of times they'll, they'll have like a big stick that they would kind of wear, and they would kind of carry across their shoulders, and they would hang jars or buckets or containers of water on that stick. Now water weighs, what, eight and a half, nine pounds per gallon. It's pretty heavy. 
And so you do the math. You get two gallons, four gallons, six gallons, enough water for your family to cook uh, for the day, drink a little bit, maybe wash their hands, probably not. You can imagine the amount of water you would have to carry, the number of trips you would have to take. And so it was always very interesting for me to see the number of people there and oftentimes the children that were there walking sometimes several miles a day just to get this water, right? Why, why would they do this, right? It's heavy, it's hot, it's cumbersome. I'm sure there's something else they would rather be doing. They understood clearly that without this source of water, they would die, So now let's apply this. Pull verse 9 back up again for me. I want to apply this to what this scripture says. Hebrews 5, 9. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Are we living as if Jesus is our source? Like how often are you walking to the well to be reminded of his goodness? John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman. Right? Jesus has just talked to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, he's walked into Samaria. He wants to speak to this woman. He sat down beside the well. John chapter 4, and he has this conversation about drinking water. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, and he's talking about the physical water that comes out of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water water welling up to eternal life. Right, right. Jesus is the living water. Right, He's our source. Now watch. He's our source of hope. He's our source of joy. He's our source of forgiveness. He's our source of reconciliation. He's our source of peace. He's our source of eternal salvation. Not a salvation that will end or will go away, but a salvation that is here for eternity. Jesus is our source. And so as we begin to think about entering into the presence of the Lord with confidence, as we begin to think about entering into his presence, uh, understanding what he's accomplished for us, we, we ask ourselves the question and we challenge ourselves with this idea, is he my source? If he is, do I go to him often enough? Am I receiving for him the, from him the hope that I need and the peace that I need and the joy that I need? Am I sharing that living water with other people? Because if he is our source, and he is, then we can't live without him. If he's the source of eternal salvation, which he is, then there's no other way to heaven. You understand? And so, so we come to grips with this idea of the greatness of Jesus. Not just because of what he's accomplished on this world, but because of what he can accomplish for us eternally. He's the source of our hope and our peace and our love and our joy and ultimately of our salvation. And so I've been challenging you over the last several weeks to, to kind of think about this one person. And so let's, let's kind of frame it in terms of what we're looking at this morning. Who's, who's the one person that you need to lead to the well of the living water? Like who's the one person that needs to be taken to this source? Like who's the one person that's probably looking for these same sorts of things Hope and joy and peace and love and all the things that, that every human being desires to have. They're looking for these things in, in kind of all the wrong places. But you know where the source is, right? You know where the well is. You can lead that person to the well. Who's the person that the Lord over the last several weeks has put on your heart? Because I've been challenging you with this idea. 
to think about that person, to, to pray about that person. So I told you this morning we're going to take this a step further. You should have received a, a little card when you came in. If you didn't, our ushers have some. Joseph, where are you in the back? I think some of our guys right here. If you didn't get one and you need one, you can just slip your hand up. And here's what we're going to do with it. This morning, you're going, to write, you're going to write down on this card the name of this person, right? I don't need first and last name. I just need a first name or initials or a nickname. We're not at all trying to figure out who you're talking about. That's between you and the Lord. We also don't need to know your name, right? You don't have to put your name at the bottom. You can if you want, but you don't have to. There's somebody down front here as well. And we're going to ask you to write down the name of this person. And then during the time of invitation, I've got a basket right here. There's a lot of names in here from the 830 service. I've got a basket we're going to put right here. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable or, or weird about this. And so if this is something that's beyond something you can do, you can drop it in as you leave this morning. But I want everybody that will do this during our time of invitation, I want you to walk down this morning with this little card. I want you to just to spend a few moments at the altar praying over this person, whoever it is. And then I want you to drop this card in this basket. This is simply a way for you to be held accountable. This is simply a way for you to acknowledge, listen, I've done this. There is that person. I'm not going to call you. I'm not looking to see who's coming and who's not. This is between you and the Lord. This is just an opportunity for you to say, listen, the Lord has placed somebody on my heart that needs the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know where the source is. Lord, I'm willing to take them there. What are you going to do this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be challenged by your word. We thank you for the book of Hebrews, Father, uh, for the greatness of Christ that we've seen now through four and into five chapters. We thank you that he's our great high priest, Lord, that he's done the things that he had to do to accomplish your purposes. Father, thank you now that because he died, because he gave his life, because that veil was torn, we can now come to you with confidence. Father, let us come to you with confidence, understanding that you know our suffering and our pain, understanding that you are our source, understanding that through Christ we receive eternal salvation. Speak to the hearts of these people. May you receive honor and glory in everything we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. You stand, sing, come drop these names and pray as we sing together.